Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. The Bible is an Old Testament and a New Testament. And so the Old Testament starts with Genesis, the New Testament starts with Matthew, and Acts is in the New Testament. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It was actually written by a guy named Luke, who wrote a book named Luke as well. And so um, this is kind of the church's beginning. The, the church began with the recognition, with this historical event of the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus was raised from the dead, these people, you know, believe that. And that's, that's what, you know, that's part of the foundational truth of the church, that Christians believe that Jesus was literally raised from the dead. It's a historical event. There's evidence, documents, writings for it, historical proof and text you know, surrounding it. But even after that took place, Jesus told them after he was raised from the dead, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. He said, when he comes, he's going to endue you with power. That word endue means to be clothed, clothed with power. And the word power, there's, it's the same word that we get our word dynamite from, meaning that it is a transforming power. It's a, it brings about change whenever it's there. And so he said, you're going to be clothed with the power that is transforming when you witness and minister. And so they're there in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. They begin to speak in other languages. People recognize them, understood them. And then Peter began to preach a message to them. And it was such a powerful message that it says around 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. So we're going to pick up. We're going to start with Acts we're going to read verse 1 through 4, and then we'll skip down to verses 41 and 42. So it says this, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So, man, they're so filled. They, they run out into the streets. They're declaring the, great, the, the good works of God. Some people are like, man, what is going on here? These guys are declaring the works of God. And other people are like, these dudes are just drunk. They're hammered. And Peter's like, no, no, man, it's way too early in the day for that to happen. He said, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. He said that, you know, it's the promise the Father's given that in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. People see dreams and have visions. And so then as he continues to preach, man, people are so convicted, it says their hearts were pierced. What do we need to do? And he said, repent, turn to God, and be filled with the Spirit and receive the forgiveness of your sins. And so we'll pick up an Acts, uh, verse 41, it says this then. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers, everybody say all the believers. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. So all the believers that were, they were filled with the Spirit and it says that, it says that they were, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Another translation says doctrine. You say, well, what's that? How do we get hold of that? Well, your New Testament is that. The New Testament was written by followers of Jesus, apostles, people that, you know, that, that, uh, that interacted with him or interacted with those that were witnesses of 
the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew was one of the 12 apostles. Mark was actually, he, he traveled with Peter and just wrote down the things that Peter told him. Luke interviewed, you know, different people, traveled with Paul, was hung around the other apostles and interviewed them and wrote down these accounts. John was a disciple. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, um, was, he, was, he had an encounter with Jesus after Jesus was raised from the dead and became a believer, and he wrote the book of James. This, this is a book that was written by followers of him, and so they devoted themselves to, to it. And so evidence of God's presence is, is that when his presence shows up, that God's presence creates a hunger for God's word. Now, if you're, if you're, like, you're kind of new to church or you're not really using what does that mean, God's word? Well, when we as Christians talk about that, well, we're talking about the Bible, that it creates a hunger for this. Now, I will tell you in our culture today that there's a real attack on this by even some people that, that, that are in the church that they, you know, they're, they're making claims. The three areas that they attack, they attack the gospel. Who did, you know, they, they, they attack that, you know, because as Christians, we believe that, that there's no other way but Jesus. And some, are, some that are in the church are attacking that. Some attack the cross. That, well, he really didn't bear our sins, but, but the Bible clearly states that he took our sins upon him. And then others are attacking the Bible. They're attacking God's word. You know, one of the challenges, sometimes people will read things and they're not rightly dividing the word. You know, they just kind of, they kind of read this. They don't understand the context, the background. And so they throw things out there to try to discredit it. Do you understand that that's something that the devil's done from the beginning, that even in the Garden of Eden, when he gave Adam instructions and later on when he was talking to Eve, he said, did God really say, this is not anything new. This is not anything new. He's not trying to, you know, just get unbelievers to question the validity of what God has said. He tries to get Christians to question that too. There's such a huge attack on my kids' generation. Man, you know, the people my age, we've got to do better. I say this in first service, man, it's just come to me. I, I want to challenge us. We have to pray that God will raise up people that have had an encounter with Jesus that are millennials and be voices to them. We have to pray that God will, that he'll impact Generation Z, that he'll raise up people that have had an encounter with Jesus and be voices to them. My generation has done a great job of standing in front of those generations and telling them how bad they are, how wrong they are, how off they are. You can only beat people up for so long before they just finally get the hint of, they just don't want me there. And, and we, we have to encourage them. That doesn't mean we're validating the things that have been presented to any generation, mine included, that are error. But, but we have to pray that that God will raise up people in those groups that will speak his words, that will be his voice to them. I, I, just, I think we're on the verge of the possibility. I don't think it's a given. I think there's some things the church has to do, but we're on the verge of this awakening that could take place in our nation. But I think the church has to be awakened first. And we have to see the need and the responsibility that we have to, to pray, to invite this thing in with prayer, to surrender, to be used by God and let the presence of God direct us and guide us. 
And especially those of you that, that are my age, that look like me, they're in my season of life. We, we, have, to, we have to be the voice that encourages in the hand that, that, that extends back to, to, you know, to, to lead them, to, to direct them, to communicate. We want you here. and We want you to have a real encounter with Jesus. And so to be able to see that, but um, whenever God's presence shows up, there's this hunger for his word that takes place. And it says that they devoted themselves to that. I, you know, I, share, I share my story, you know, with you, and I was raised in church and all that kind of stuff, and so you guys know that. I mean, it's, you know, somebody says, can you get a different story? Well, it's the only life I have, and so, um, so it's my story, but I remember when I got serious about the things of God in high school, that as time went on, that I kind of became aware of the Holy Spirit's ministry and what he wants to do. And, and um, you know, my own, when I was the church, I was brought up in, and I'm grateful to it. But really, the only thing I knew about the Holy Spirit is that whenever I heard his name in the service, it meant service was over. And I, that's when I perked up and go, I can go home now. And so, you know, they would say, you know, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, that's it. Hey, church is over. And so I would, we, I knew we were leaving. But I began to realize that the Holy Spirit is, he's a real person, that, that his presence is here. When I became aware of him and the role that he wanted to play in my life, along with that became the stirring up and this hunger for God's word, for scripture. I began to see it different. That it wasn't just another book. and It wasn't just a book I was reading because my spiritual discipline said I was supposed to. It was a book that there was a life in it. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration is, literally means it's God-breathed. That the difference is, is that his breath, upon these words in scriptures, the word breath, I mean, it, it communicates that it's his life. That the life of God. Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is quick. That word quick means alive. It says it's quick and powerful. It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so whenever the Holy Spirit, whenever God's presence is moving in a place, first of all, Jesus is front and center. But second of all, it should stir up in us a hunger for the word of God. That there's a reason why the enemy is attacking the validity of Scripture nowadays. Trying to convince people that we can fully know Jesus without it. And we can't. And so... There's this thing that, that just, you know, that one of the reasons why every Sunday when you come here, we're gonna you're going to hear the scripture. Whether I'm teaching it or somebody else is teaching or it's shared in a different format, you're going to hear it. That's why on Monday nights, that with what Aaron and Janelle do with recovery, you're going to hear scripture that we know that real liberty doesn't come apart from Jesus and it doesn't come apart from his word. And Wednesday night with our students, you're going to hear that. Thursday with... Thursdays with our young adults, that, that's going to be a part of who we are. But to understand this, that there's this hunger that's created in our word, I mean, in our lives towards the word of God. You don't have to turn there, but Luke 5, verse 1, Jesus was preaching one day. It says this, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him. So he's preaching on the Sea of Galilee, and he's, and he's kind of like backed up to the, to the sea, and people are pressing in on him. I wonder what they're doing. You know, you just want to see miracles? 
I wonder, you know, what, what things are going to take place? What well, tells us what they were doing is they pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. In other words, as they began to have an encounter with him, he just drew them to the word. In Mark chapter 2, it says that Jesus was ministering in a house, and it says the house was full. People stood at the door. And it says that in this, with the people that were in this house that was full, it says that he preached the word to them. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out. And so that the Holy Spirit, when God's presence shows up, that he leads us and guides us and draws us to the word. That it takes place in our life. So number one is this, is that God's presence creates a hunger for God's word. Let's look at number two. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, that's like almost towards the end of your Bible. So you're like in Acts. Next book over is Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians. Keep going. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Keep going. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy. Keep going. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter was a letter written by, of all people, a guy named Peter. And so he wrote this. Again, he was one of the 12 apostles. He was a father of Jesus. And it says this to him in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He said, first of all, he said, so get rid of. Everybody say, get rid of. So he's telling us, he's, he's writing this to Christians. He's telling Christians, these are some things you shouldn't be doing as a Christian. So we should lean in here. Get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy jealousy, and all unkind speech. So he said, look, get rid of those things. And then he said this, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. So he said, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Uh, the King James says, as newborn babes, babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So he said, as babies, we're supposed to crave this. Now, how many of you in here have either had a baby, you know, babysit a baby, been around a baby when they're hungry? Who in here has ever had that happen and that type of thing? Is anybody, how many of you in here have been responsible at least for one point in your life to make sure that you had to feed them at that time? Anybody in here? Have you ever been in a situation where in that moment that the food's not ready and stuff like that? Aren't they so easy to pacify? When you tell them, hey, look, wait a minute, this is going to be good, they're just so easy. Like when they wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and they're hungry, they're just so easy. You yell at them, you go, hey, I've had such a long day and you know, I kind of got to bed late and I'm getting up early in the morning. I'm just going to feed you at 6 o'clock. And they're good, right? I mean, they're good. I remember when we had our first one, we had David, you know, that... Um, he, don't, he, was, <laughs> he was only a few months old. And me and Tina were sitting there talking to somebody and, somebody, and this person goes, they go, does he sleep all through the night? And I go, yeah, yeah, he does. And Tina goes, he doesn't. <laughs> I kind of look at her and she goes, no, he's not sleeping all through the night. And I thought, is that a shot at me? <laughs> but I didn't want to entertain that thought because it would keep me up at nights. And so, you know, so <laughs> You know, I mean, because you know, what babies do when they're hungry, man, you know, they get up. You know, they get up. They're hungry. I mean, they, well, they don't get up. I mean, they cry and get you up. I mean, they, you know, they, when you think about this, you know, there's, so, you know, with babies, part of the challenge is they can't do for themselves, so you have to do for them, whether it's convenient or not. But on the other hand, man, their needs are pretty simple. Pretty simple, you know, that, I mean, you know, they, just want, they want to make sure that they're not hungry, 
They want to make sure that, you know, that, that, that they're in a comfortable environment and that their diapers stay clean. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of the same for me. And so, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, um, yeah, I tried that in the first service and they kind of just laughed too. Anyway, so, but, but it says that that's how the word is supposed to be to us. That we realize that, you know, that hunger on the inside of me. That I can try to replace it with so many things else, but, but there's only one, you know, that when I give my life to Jesus, that one of the things that reveals who he is to me is his word. That it's, it's not just a normal book. It was, it was written from Old Testament to New Testament over a 1,500-year period of time. Some were manuscripts. Some were letters. Different things like that. Some were books that were written and, and accumulated and collected. But the consistency in them is the story of redemption that takes place from Adam and Eve in the garden until the appearance of Jesus and the crucifixion on the cross and the resurrection and now to the church being the representative of Jesus on the earth declaring the good news that I was a sinner lost in my sin, and Jesus took my sin upon him, and as a result of that, that the judgment that should have been mine, he took so I can be a child of God and stand in the righteousness of God and have a relationship with God as if I've never sinned. It's good news. It's good news. And so if you've come here today with just condemnation and guilt, I have good news for you that I found in here. I found it in here. And so he said, we need to crave it. And he said, the reason why we need to crave it is so that we can grow thereby. Now, here's the thing about a baby. When a baby is born, it's a human being. If it makes a mistake the next day, it's still a human being. But if it stayed a baby all its life, then we would think, that's not healthy. But it grows. And as it grows and develops and it begins to be able, there's things it does better than it did when it was younger. And spiritually, the same way we give our lives to Jesus, and I may make a mistake tomorrow, but it doesn't mean I'm not his child anymore. It doesn't mean I'm not a Christian anymore. Yet on the other hand, he doesn't want me to stay a baby. And so he, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit here, said, he said, crave it. Cry out for the, the milk of the word so that you can grow. In other words, that who Jesus made me to be in here, at, as time goes on, begins to be manifested out here. Now, I think we all have kind of, you know, and I don't think I'm that different from everybody else. Well, yeah, but you're a pastor. I am, but I'm, I'm a person. So I got my stuff. And so... You know, there were changes that when, when I gave my life to Jesus, there were a few things that felt like they changed instantly. And I wish that everything changed instantly, but the truth of the matter is, is that honestly, that was the exception. There, there are some things that even decades later that he's still working with me on. I mean, I don't know about you, but I wish that all of it changed instantly. Don't you? Don't you wish you could say to people, hey, I know I was a real idiot yesterday, but I just got saved, so I'm not going to do stupid things anymore. <laughs> That's not been my story. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised before the day's over even having had church say, I do something stupid. 
But as I study the word, it, it nourishes me. It nourishes me so that I can grow. It's no wonder that the enemy comes against the scripture because it's in the scripture that we find the words of life. But even after a believer, if he can get you to not trust it, to doubt it, to discredit it, then you don't lean into it and it impacts how you grow. That, that, that if you find yourself pushing yourself away from this, well, I still love Jesus, but that you just mark my word in time that you push yourself away from this, that it's just a matter of time that it disconnects you from who Jesus is because you can't have one without the other. And so the evidence of the Holy Spirit, this presence here, is that we lean into his word. That as we spend time in there, and, and there's some things that I love about the word, man, I love to quote and declare. Romans 8 says this, that in all these things, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. Have you heard that one before? I love to quote that one. And there's Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I love to quote that one. Romans 8 says this, that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. It gives all these things life or death, things present, things to come. I love to quote that verse. There's others that I'm not as crazy about quoting. This 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, which says, Get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. You don't hear me quoting that, declaring that one so much. Because there are times in my life where when I get frustrated, I still deal with being unkind in my speech especially for people that are closest to me. Again, like I said, man, I mean, there's always this work that God's doing in me that, you know, seriously, if you, you probably should start wearing like these construction hats around me. I should have a sign that's like, you know, caution, you know, you know engage at your own risk. But the beauty of it is, is that when it, like the last part of that where it says that get rid of unkind speech, My default is, is when I get frustrated and I let my flesh do what it wants, my speech becomes unkind. Sometimes it's like obviously unkind. Now, not all sarcasm is this way, but some sarcasm can be masked hostility. And I've discovered in my life the angrier I am, the better my sarcasm is. And when I say better, I mean not better. And so I read this verse and it begins to deal with me and it convicts me because God in his word is revealing to me now, Rick, you're, you're mine. You live in me. And what this looks like lived out in your life is that I don't want you to be unkind in your speech towards people anymore. It's all of a sudden I begin to think about that. And the next time I'm faced with a situation where I'm challenged, when things don't go like I'm supposed to, that verse pops up. And it's trying to bring about restraint in my life. It feeds me. It nourishes me. I wish I could tell you that when I first read that verse, that from that moment on, I never again was unkind. But there was something powerful about the awareness of it. That those times of unkindness, they become fewer and fewer as time goes along. Doesn't mean my frustration still isn't there. It doesn't mean that things don't happen. But, but every now and then that'll, that'll pop out. But man, used to it was kind of a regular part of my toolbox. 
the word, as, it's, as I spent time and as I, I looked at those words, they, they resonate with my heart. They, they rest in me. And when I'm faced with those things and they, they grow me and try to help me to limit my response where I don't respond in a way that's negative, you know, that, that I'm given this, God's word nourishes us so we can grow. This is why the enemy tries to discourage you, to try to discredit it. I've discovered this, that you know, that, that a lot of times that people that aren't believers are trying to, t- that never knew Jesus are trying to tell us who Jesus is. Well, one of the things I read in this book is these guys followed him. They gave their lives up. And so they're writing this down as witnesses. Peter, whose life, when he wrote down his life, he told everything, the points that had shame filled where he denied Jesus, where he left his manhood someplace else and wimped out at the time that his friend needed him the most. If you're going to lie, you won't tell that part of the story. But then later on, on the day of Pentecost, instead of withdrawing, it says this, that he stepped forward. If we look at history, we find this out about him, that eventually that he was martyred and they were going to crucify him like he did Jesus. And the guy that decades before had hid himself said to those that were getting ready to crucify him, crucify me upside down. I'm unworthy to die in the same manner that my Lord has died. So that's the guy that I want me to tell, want to tell me who Jesus is. Not the person that never had an encounter with him, that never believed in him. One of the problems that we have is sometimes the truth is not comfortable. And I don't know if every generation has been this way, but I feel like that we struggle that if truth is uncomfortable, it must not be true. That's a horrible measurement for truth. If that were the case, every time I look at my scale, I'm like, you're a liar. (laughs) No, it reveals something that I want to change. And say... (laughs) I, I just things pop in my head sometimes. Anyway, so, so, so those things happen. They, you know, the, the truth, the fact that it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not true. But when we commit ourselves to the truth, it, it transforms us. It grows us. It nourishes us. gives me the strength so I can grow. Can you imagine if you've never fed a baby? That, that they would never have the strength to do the things that they were created to do. If we don't feed ourselves spiritually, It impacts our ability to live out this life that God has given us, that Jesus died for. And so God's word nurses so we can grow. Let's look at this last one, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse And it says, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. What had just happened is a couple of the apostles had been arrested and they'd been threatened. They said, they told them, said, hey, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they left that place. And this is this, and the King James says, they went to their own company. That's not a business. Their own company was the believers, the church that they were with. They weren't, you know, they weren't of the group that said, well, I'm the church and therefore I don't need to go to church. What a stupid thing. 
They didn't say that. What they did say, though, is they went to their own company. In other words, these are the people that we fellowship with, that we do life with, that we journey with. And so it says that they went to them and they prayed. And this is how the end of the prayer goes. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. In other words, give us boldness to preach your word, to preach scripture. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After, everybody say after. After this prayer, not before the prayer, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. And so they prayed, Lord, give us boldness to preach your word. Stretch out your hand, Lord, to do great things. And so they prayed and guess what? The Holy Spirit and the word were together there at the same time that they, the Holy Spirit confirmed his word. If you're taking notes, number three is this. God's word and the Holy Spirit work together. They work together. You know, sometimes I've wanted to share things with people that are based upon the scripture. And I'm like, yeah, but what if I don't impact them? And finally, one day I realized it's not my job to convict them. I'm just told to tell. Go tell. There are three things involved here. My, my responsibility to tell. The Holy Spirit's job that if I'm saying what's God's word, he convicts. And it's their job to believe. I, I, don't, get, I don't get to convict them. And thank God because I can't. And I can't believe for them, and I wish I could, but I can't, but, but I'm told to tell, and I have confidence now. I've learned over years that if I tell, he convicts. Over and over again, I've been in situations and circumstances where I'll tell, and he convicts. I, I can tell by the response. And sometimes I've, I've told before, and, and they've seemed hardened at first, but the more we engage, I see that the Holy Spirit's doing what he wants to. They work together. And so when we share the word, the Holy Spirit confirms it. You know, it, it's, it can be such a mystery sometimes if you, want, if you read the news and you see in church and, and when pastors, when their humanity becomes public. And I know it's disappointing. Let me just say this. Every pastor deals with his humanity. Everyone. Including the one talking to you right now. And I'm not saying that everybody does the same things. But we all have our stuff. And sometimes when our humanity becomes public, people are hurt and they're disappointed. And they sit there and they think, you know, how, how could God use them and that type of thing? Well, there's two things going on here. First of all is that, that the only selection God has to pick from is the imperfect selection. That whoever he uses... They're all imperfect. Now, that doesn't give permission to just do whatever you want to do. And often when things are exposed, it's not because they were such a hypocrite. It's because the goodness and mercy of God gave them a chance to repent. Because he loves them just like he loves you, just like he loves me. But eventually, in their disobedience, they kind of expose themselves. But even before that happens, God still moves. And people say, well, he must not have been real. No, no, that's not it. The Holy Spirit didn't move to confirm him. The Holy Spirit moved to confirm his word. And so people say things according to the word, and the Holy Spirit shows up because the word is there. They work together through imperfect vessels. 
They work together. So I know this, that when we want to see God do things and we, we share the scripture, some people through their, through their theatrics think they can manipulate God. Some people through their sympathy think that he should just move. But whenever the scripture is shared, the Holy Spirit is there. As we share the scriptures, we do our part. It's, he partners with us. One scripture said this, the Lord went with them, working, confirming the word with signs following. That when scripture's shared and you're sitting there, all of a sudden this conviction shows up. Oh, I have to do better. Oh, I've, I've wrestled with that too long. Oh, yeah, I've used unkind words. Oh, yeah, I deal with jealousy. Oh, yeah, I've been a hypocrite at times in my life. Oh, yeah, I've said this. That conviction that calls us to repent and to rise up, that's the word being shared and the Holy Spirit coming to work and convict us in our lives so that we can grow. And he's there not just to convict us, but to help us to change. He gives us the power. Philippians says this, that it's God that works in you, giving you the desire to change and giving you the ability to change. So how do I know God works in me? You begin to want to change. I don't feel like I can. I got good news for you. I don't even say that he would make you want to, but he'll help you to. And transform our lives as the word is shared and the Holy Spirit works with that and brings about transformation so that who Jesus has made us to be in here becomes evident out here. And that's why whenever his presence is there, that we're drawn to the word so that we can grow thereby and have a full experience of salvation as revealed in the scripture. It's God speaking to you. It's his love letters to you. Revealing how much he cares for you and what he's done so you can have a relationship with him. I want us to do this. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute. Man, let's just spend a moment with God. And just, I believe that he's here and because his presence is here, he'll speak to you and talk to you about what Jesus wants to do in your life and just stir up our hearts to hunger for a relationship with him and begin to call us and beckon us towards his word. And as we just begin to just agree, Lord, I want that. Lord, I want to do that. Then he begins to help us through his word and through his spirit. Let's just spend a moment with God.